Welcome to the Nightmare Box, <laughs> presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting here across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the timid temptress, Kristen Pennington. I'm a timid temptress. Are temptresses to... more bold normally? Well, that's what makes you special. You're the timid one. <laughs> <laughs> you stand apart from the rest of the temptress. Um. And what we're going to do today, guys, uh, I, I don't know how much you've uh, gone back into the catalog. We typically do uh, what we call the Two Star Tuesday, which is a review of a purposely bad horror film. Um, and we release those episodes on Tuesdays. We give you guys the good, the bad, what we've learned from them. Um, try to have a positive experience with it. And um, unfortunately, for reasons that I don't fully comprehend... Um, Netflix is slow to the start this go around. There's not a whole lot of horror films on there right yeah, now. Considering it's the tail end of September. Yeah. Like by the time this airs, we'll be that much closer to October. Exactly. And which so- is the most glorious month of the year. Why? <laughs> because I was born that month. Also Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween's the best part. And <laughs> Also, I was born that month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh... They have still lacking selection on Netflix. Yeah, there's not a great selection, which would normally be, you know, sad days. I I would be upset because we could not do what we wanted to do. But then I clicked over and they added exactly one more movie that I had not noticed was on there before. And that one would be Scream. The original 1996 Wes Craven fucking classic. And so we're going to kind of two-star Scream. Um, except we have zero bads going into this thing so written don't, down. Don't yeah. at me. We're basically just going to be sucking Car- uh, not Carlin's, Craven's <laughs> cock. Sucking Craven's cock. <laughs> uh, so this will air on a Friday instead of a Tuesday, so what are we going to call this? Fantastic Film Friday? Ooh, Fantastic Film Friday. That would be, a, that'd be more positive <laughs> than what we normally do. Two Star Tuesday, I'm just screaming about, like, why is Sandra Bullock blind? You know? <laughs> that wasn't Sandra Bullock. No, it wasn't. Well, this guy wasn't really Johnny Depp either, and it didn't stop me from getting all fucking confused. Uh, but we are going to keep similar-ish format, so uh, if you've never listened to a two-star film... Go back and listen to our two-star films. Yeah. They're all labeled two-star Tuesday. And these movies are pretty easy to watch. You know, you don't have to dig too hard to find, like, The Eye or uh, Stitches. Or Zombievers. Zombievers. <laughs> get that deluxe pack. Get that whole extra five seconds of fucking outtakes. <laughs> Do you want to jump into the ratings? Yeah. Um, this got an IMDb score of 7.2, but more impressive than that was the Rotten Tomatoes score, which was split exactly... With the critics and the audience at 79%. I don't think they've ever agreed in the history no. of critics and audience members. It's always one way or the other. Like, one yeah. always hates it and the other always loves it. Do you agree with 79 or do you think it should have? Uh, I can live with 79 because it's only one point away from 80. I think 7.2 is a little low. I think it deserves at least an 8. At least an 8. Which isn't... You know, it's on reputation alone. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not a huge leap from seven point two, so I'm being kind of picky about it. But it's I I feel like seventies to me, like anything in the seventy range is like you just barely passed. But eighty yeah. is like, hey, you did all right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you got there. You got a B. You didn't get a C plus. 
So this yeah, is I not a C plus eight. of a film. This <laughs> is a, a steady B right in the middle, maybe like an 8.5 um, is where I would throw it. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah, but it was brought to us by Woods Entertainment and distributed by Dimension Films. Um, and then there were these guys, I, I, I'd not heard a whole lot about them as far as, you know, films concerned, but these Weinstein brothers uh, were involved. And um, as far as I know, that's just wholesome family fun. They, you know, <laughs> is that what you hear? They're not recently in trouble for uh, any the, sort of situation. Is that the word on the street? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the word on the street. But it seems like Bob Weinstein was the one more involved with this film. So mm-hmm. it's not got the, you know, sticky fingers of Harvey. Um <laughs> All in and on it. <laughs> and it ran with a budget of 14 to 15 mil. We couldn't nail that exact number down. In the box office on this motherfucker. Let's do opening weekend first, though. Okay. I don't have the exact number, but opening weekend, I think if I'm remembering right, only earned $6.3 million, yeah. So they didn't even earn back half of what they spent mm-hmm. on it. And they thought... It was going to be a flop, and they a released complete dud. <laughs> yeah, they released this movie around Christmas time because mm-hmm. they were like, "Nah, fuck it. Nobody has any like good horror films to watch at Christmas yeah. time. We're going to go all in." <laughs> and uh, they thought for a minute there it flopped, but box office was one hundred and seventy-three million fucking dollars. How many times? And the craziest shit is, you know, like from beginning to end, what we learned kind of studying this film was this thing, you know, it was supposed to flop at the box office. The guy who wrote it wrote it in three days and he didn't think it was going to sell. So like it went out for pitch on like a Friday night and then they didn't get anything back by Monday morning. It was like Oliver Stone and the Weinstein brothers were fighting over who had the rights to this fucking screenplay. And if you're, you're looking to put that in perspective, they earned basically 11 times what they spend on it yeah no that that's a way to make people very very happy in hollywood (laughs) um it was the highest grossing slasher until 2018's halloween yeah i I, when you told me that i was thinking you meant you meant like the rob zombie halloween and it was like no it's another 10 years (laughs) after that one Wes craven body last year (laughs) <laughs> fucking Wes Craven bodied this so hard he held the record for like 20 years it was like 22 mm-hmm. years people were born after Scream who were drinking in a bar before that record got broken <laughs> <laughs> what did you say it was like the 15th uh, highest grossing horror film yeah. of all time I think. well it was I think it was the 15th that year 15th highest grossing but it was up against like Mission Impossible and Independence Day like 96 was a motherfucker for mm-hmm. some classic there was films. a Tom Cruise movie too was it Jerry Mission Maguire? Impossible oh wait yeah you said yeah. that sorry I was thinking for some reason Jerry Maguire oh, Jerry Maguire as well yeah oh, he, he did two films yeah because it was up directly against Jerry Maguire but which is a pretty solid yeah Mission film. Impossible must have come out earlier in the year um Wes Craven <laughs> kicked ass yeah if, uh, he was only better at fighting brain cancer aww, <laughs> aww. God damn. um Yeah, it was directed by Wes Craven. It was written by Kevin Williamson. And I was sitting there going, who the fuck is this Kevin Williamson guy? Because when we're watching the movie, and I've seen this countless times, um, we're watching the movie. There's the scene where Billy, right, 
climbs into Sydney's window, and I was like, oh, it's a Dawson's Creek knockoff. It's not a Dawson's Creek knockoff. Dawson's Creek hadn't fucking happened yet, because Kevin Williamson took the flock of hysteria that surrounded his screenplay and created fucking Dawson's Creek, which means every time the dude went in the window in Dawson's Creek, that whole move was actually knocked off of Scream. It's just like, it's ten times more terrifying. Does Scream take place in the Dawson's Creek universe? Is this all happening in Woodsboro? That's possible. I don't know. I thought you'd have something to riff off of that with. I don't. I didn't watch Dawson's Creek, actually. (laughs) I know what it is, but I never watched it. (laughs) You want to dive into some characters for us? Uh, It's been a while since we've done this. Do we usually do the trivia before the synopsis? Do you got trivia? Well, normally, I'd say we do characters first, and then if the trivia has any character names in it, then we're good to go. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, Sydney Prescott is the main character that is played by Neve Campbell, and she did House of Cards. Yeah, and she played House the reporter in House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards came later in her career, but she yeah. also did another Weinstein production that is definitely not in the middle of a massive sex scandal thing. Uh, <laughs> cough, cough, Kevin Spacey. I think prior to Scream, if I'm remembering right, excuse me while I double check because I didn't write that down. She did The Craft. Ooh. Um, dead air. This really isn't that important. Trying to ramble to yes, you about Kevin Spacey. We could have just stuck with that. <laughs> she did the craft. <laughs> Which, uh, that was like a weird thing for me. Is like she, She's got a lot of credits on our IMDb. She's got like 63 credits. Yeah. Which is not anything to gloss over. Um, but I, I don't... Outside of House of Cards, I don't know that she had any other big credits after... Yeah. Like, she was in all of the Scream films, but after... Now that she's been a House of Cards, like, people are so mad at Kevin Spacey that they want to ignore how brilliant that fucking TV show was. So now that her legacy is tarnished yet again. Well, like, she she was a damn... I mean, she was significantly younger in the original Scream, but she was a damn good actress in the film. So I was like, I'm surprised she didn't do significantly more bigger things throughout her career mm-hmm. because by far and away she was up against a lot of big name people and i think she ran away with the whole film yeah, no, this was hers from beginning maybe not the very beginning because there is the <laughs> the star of the film it was uh, drew barrymore played casey becker uh and we'll get into that whole thing but yeah, Wes Craven did not agree to direct this movie until Drew Barrymore signed in to play the role that she she had to like beg Wes Craven to make this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, she uh, sought them out and asked if she could be in the film because it wasn't standard at the time for big name actors or actresses to be in horror film that was considered beneath them. And um, I think Neve had uh, established a career as like a TV actor, so yeah. even for her casting, they were kind of like, "What?" <laughs> so, <laughs> who else? Turning we point got? in horror. Turning point in horror. Uh, Gail Weathers is the one and only Courtney Cox, yeah. who played Monica and Friends, and she also uh, essentially harassed the producers into giving her this job because Monica is a very neurotic, but. Um, 
bitchy. No, not no. Monica's not a bitchy character at all. Uh, oh, Gail. I, I, I thought you were, yeah, Gail was the <laughs> Gail bitchy is character. a bitchy character. No, Monica's just very neurotic, but like nice natured and a nice mm-hmm. person. And they were like, I don't think you're suited for the role. And she was like, No, trust me, I can be a bitch. If you need me to be a bitch. So apparently, she harassed them into giving her the job. That's great. Do you want to go next? I thought you were doing your character list. I'm sorry. Oh, are we not? I thought we were going back and forth. I mean, we can. Um, and then Billy Loomis. Fun, uh, you know, stab at Halloween, if you will. Loomis being Sam Loomis, who was the psychiatrist for Michael Myers in the Halloween film. So Billy Loomis uh, is played by Skeet, 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 Skeet Ulrich. What a terrible <laughs> It was great until Lil John made that song. Skeet was a fun name until it became synonymous with coming on windows and walls. Skeet is the poor man's Johnny Depp. Yeah, he looks exactly <laughs> like Johnny Depp. I was like, that looks like Johnny Depp. I bet you that's an homage to The Nightmare on Elm Street. Sure as shit was the only reason he got the job was he looked a lot like Johnny Depp. I mean, he didn't do bad. I don't want to knock on him, but... He did a great Johnny no. Depp impression <laughs> for fucking an hour well, and ten minutes. Well, even at the end, because, uh, spoiler alert, this came out in 96. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. Uh, Billy's one of the bad guys. Yeah. And, like, at the end, he, he did a... Decent, unhinged, like, creepy... Well, he reminded me a lot of Krug from Mm. Last House on the Left, which, I mean, this movie's filled with homage and, you know, knocking down the traditions and stuff like that. A lot of jerking Carpenter off is what Craven (laughs) did in this movie. He was just like, I'm just going to grab hold of Carpenter, and we're going to just do a circle jerk between me and Carpenter. And, um, but... Fuck, I've lost it. He reminds you of Krug. Uh, yeah, his unhinged character, especially like right at the end, like right as he's like fighting for his life, reminds me of that scene at the end of Last House where Krug and the father are fighting over the chainsaw. It's like a lot of that same like violent, um, like thin Psychopath. red psychopathic <laughs> energy. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah, so so I, I don't want to. I'm poking fun a bit because this movie does nothing yeah. but poke fun. Um, I'm sorry I, if you guys uh, are still uh, if you spent all 173 million dollars and you find yourself listening to our podcast right now. Please don't come beat us up. You know? <laughs> I think you won. I think. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm, You're I'm, still living on scream money. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not knocking yeah. uh, Skeet by any means, but um, he did a good job to his credit. But he permanently throughout the entire movie wore sulky teenage girl face. He had mm-hmm. no other setting than I'm just going to pout my lips and stare. Yeah, again, he does a great Johnny Depp impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next character, Deputy Dewey. Who is uh, David Arquette. Fun, but also sad. A little bit of trivia for you. Courtney Cox and David Arquette fell in love on this movie. And uh, got married. And I thought we're going to make it till happily ever after. Until like 2013 they divorced. But they made it a long ways for Hollywood. Second favorite fun fact. I don't know who David Arquette is. You kept going, that's David Arquette. And I was like, I am not familiar with even the name of the David Arquette (laughs) band. The what David has he Arquette been in? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. See, you know his name, but you no, don't know well, what he's in. 
He's no Al Pacino. You're acting like I'm just like missed out the legend. Courtney Cox were like like the Hollywood couple because she was you know. But outside of Friends, I didn't know Courtney Cox. (laughs) Well, she did Friends. She's got a hilarious name. You got Cox and Skeet in this movie. Skeet. (laughs) God damn it! Friends ran for a long time. To be fair. Uh, let's see. David Arquette. More awkward silence. Just filling this episode with dead air, cause we're professionals. He was weirdly in Pee Wee's Big Holiday. That is not something I thought I was gonna Jesus come Jesus Christ, between Weinstein and Pee Wee jerking <laughs> off in a theater, this, this is a sex crime just falling apart. I don't know that he had as prolific a career as Courtney, honestly. I think. Well, I mean, you, 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 you flaunt him around like he's a big man. Well, they were like the Hollywood couple. Don't hate on I was. I don't read People magazine. <sighs> Alright, well, yeah, I don't think he ever... I don't think... He's, he's done a lot of stuff. He also has a lot of <laughs> IMDb credits. You can look him up. His career, I don't think, was quite as prolific as uh, Courtney's. But yeah, they, they were married, and it was cute. Because they... <laughs> what a cute origin story. Because we talk about origin stories. They met on this slasher film that everybody said was going to be a flop and went on to be wildly successful and their characters got married later on in the sequels and they got married in real life and, and they then... like performed together i think all the way to like scream three before one of them gets taken out right? no they both survive until the tail end they're both in scream four. Oh, oh no they're sure. married in scream four and kind of having a contentious relationship because uh gail's still a bit of a bitch yeah spoiler alert and <laughs> Very She's gotta sell focused. that book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dewey is less of an idiot yeah. and a little disappointed in Gil at that point, <laughs> I think. But no, they both survive and they're married. He's a then... full fledged idiot. You can't talk to me like that. Remember what Ma said? Well, I got the mm. badge on. I'm a police officer. And we'll, we'll get into that for sure. <laughs> Your turn. Who you got? Um, Ghostface. I didn't even write that one down, so all right. The voice of Ghostface in this movie. I've got two Ghostface facts. I'm going to hit you guys with the first one, and then I don't know if Kristen knows the second one just yet. Uh, The first one is Ghostface voice is Roger Jackson. And, like, we talked on Zombievers about, like, the long and prestigious career of the guy who voiced (laughs) the the zombie beavers in Zombievers. And uh, I thought that was hilarious. Roger Jackson has a funnier fucking story. Roger Jackson was the ghost face voice and Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) I have an interesting ghost face fact for you. I don't know if this may be what you're going to say next. Um, The actors weren't allowed to meet him in person because... Yeah. No, they weren't allowed to meet Roger Jackson in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My... Okay. My third ghost face (laughs) fact on that accord... Is in the opening scene with Casey, where you know the the the, the fucking iconics. I don't know why I'm like, beating around the bush like it's not the greatest thing that's happened ever. Um, the guy playing Ghostface in that scene is Wes Craven. Wes Craven put on the mask to do the opening scene with Drew Barrymore. It's the only time he's ever played a bad guy in one of his films. He always does cameos, but he was the one chasing her around for that thing i did not know that i found it out on like four different articles today so, so i feel pretty confident true. saying that you the know, internet yeah. never lies no it's not like all four <laughs> articles were you know bloggers reading the same wikipedia horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> no but i did think that was interesting because i read that that um craven would not let the actors meet the guy who voiced yeah. ghostface because they didn't want um, or he didn't want them to put a face to mm-hmm. it and be less intimidated by his voice. Yeah. So 
fun. So they like he would call on the cell phones. And they were really, <laughs> no, they were really talking to him during filming. Mm-hmm. He was on the other end of the phone. What's so. your favorite scary movie? <laughs> he does have a, a solid, creepy, mm-hmm. you don't want to get that late night call voice. <laughs> Not at all. And then you look at his picture and he's got a, he's got a, a voice for radio. <laughs> oh, I didn't look him up, so I don't know. Uh, my next character is a favorite of mine. Well, not a favorite favorite, but as far as this yeah. lineup. Um, Stuart is yeah. played by Matthew Lillard. And if you're listening to Matthew Lillard read his lines and you think that voice is a little bit familiar, but you can't quite peg it, Matthew Lillard has made a career voicing none other than Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> he did... I think the first live action film that they did and then pretty much all of the character yeah. for the cartoon series. The meme going around about Shaggy losing his power, that's Matthew Lillard. <laughs> 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 um, he was also in the movie Without a Paddle, if you've ever seen that. That's a pretty funny film. But yeah, he made a career of being Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. So, fun fact for you. And then I've got Randy who is my my personal favorite character, you know, in the whole film because he brings you the rules. He's he's my if I am in this movie, I am Randy. <laughs> so, guys, you don't understand. She didn't pull her tits out for another five films, okay? She only did that when she went legit. Um, Randy is Jamie Kennedy, who's a hilarious stand-up comedian. Um, uh, and are we how many more you got? Uh, I've got one more. Do you have the character that dies at the beginning? Or do no, you have, I've no. got character who gets killed oh, wait, by did. garage door. You did. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and do her. <laughs> I've got Tatum Riley. Yes. Tatum is played by Rose McGowan. I can't tell you what Rose has been in. Uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue, but I'm looking it up right now. I knew that oh, I yeah. thought she was the girl from American History X for a solid mm, part of this film. That's the chick who plays in Waterboy. <laughs> Turns out we had to look that up. Um, no, um, Rose McGowan. Neither one of them, Rose McGowan? No. Okay. Rose McGowan, I think the biggest thing, well, she's done a lot of other stuff too, and I think she's a... Uh, a human rights activist too so i think she's I, I think that's what i know her more yeah for. i think she's well known for her activism but um had a very lengthy career playing Paige on the tv show charmed so um if she looked a little familiar to you that's why she later went on to be in charmed which was Fuck a pretty yeah. successful tv series about witches. three sisters yeah who were witches so there we go who else are we missing all i have is drew barrymore did we do her already yeah we yeah we did her. It was a whole bit. <laughs> there are a lot of characters in this film who are heavyweight actors, to be fair. Heavy as fuck. Like, most of these people have yeah. done some shit. It's one of the tropes that gets broken in this movie is, you know, whereas in the 70s and 80s you would hire no-name actors so that the audience walked in and didn't know them. From, like, beginning to end, these are people that are recognizable, that had career spanning decades. They weren't, like small stars back in the late 90s they were like hitting the beginnings of their careers everybody knew somebody in this film Mm -hmm. especially drew barrymore she was like fucking queen of the castle in 96 oh fun fact while we're on this topic i forgot because i didn't write it down um matthew lillard um didn't even really like technically like intentionally audition for the role he showed up to the studio 
because he was dating a girl at the time who was auditioning for an entirely different role, but <laughs> that uh, audition was happening on the same studio plot as the auditions for Scream, and the casting director lady was like, Matthew, <laughs> we think you'd be great for this. You should come audition. And he was just like, all right. You stabbed me, bro. <laughs> can't feel my hands, my man. My parents what are going to be so fuck? mad at me. <laughs> well, I will let you do the synopsis, though, because you are probably significantly more familiar with I was film. unprepared for synopsis. I have no synopsis. You don't, we don't normally write these down. You know what the film's about. <sighs> Come on, you got this. So a year before the movie is taking place, uh, Sid's mother is killed by the ghost face Raped killer. And killed. Raped and killed by the ghost face killer. Uh, Gail Weathers is a reporter who has written a true crime book about the homicide. That has taken place, and uh, nothing has happened since. But now Ghostface is back. He takes out Drew Barrymore, and then he fucks up this group of kids. Um, Gail and Sydney have a very contentious... We missed one. We missed one of the characters. Can I finish The principal. This? Can I finish this thought real quick? Okay. Um, Gail and Sydney have a very contentious relationship with each other because Sydney had a man named Cotton, I think. Uh, put away for her mother's murder and I forgot about that. Um, Gil pretty much went on record being like no that's not what happened yeah. so they have a not very good relationship with each other but yeah the and then the ghost face comes back and it's a whole situation it's a whole thing but yeah the principal do you know his name? nope okay let me look figured you had it written down no, we I are don't. not a, we spent an hour <laughs> and a half making notes today and we're well it wasn't apart. a two star Tuesday so I was a little more lax about it <laughs> I think his name's Henry something you guys are gonna you can miss his name uh, what famous character did he play? the fawn <laughs> Cotton Weary was the bad guy where the fuck is it? it's Henry something it's like I think his last name starts with a W Weinstein. where are you at? no <laughs> I want to say Winkler for some reason, but that's not right. Oh my god, guys! What is his name? You're all probably like screaming it at me through the mic. You know what? I'm just gonna Google the Fonz because that would come up faster. Don't do that. <laughs> Happy days! This is my metronome song. This is my metronome song. Yeah, it was. Hen- Henry Winkler. I was right. <laughs> In face. Um, yeah, he played Fonzie in Happy Days. And uh, he has done a lot of Adam Sandler films. And uh, Brett all and of I- them. <laughs> <laughs> Brett and I were watching it last night. And like my first thing was like... Because he still, I feel like, wears the exact same hairstyle as he did back in Happy Days. Like, he still styles his hair the same way. It's just gray, and he's older now. And I was like, oh, that's the Fonz. And he was like, no, it's not. And I was like, okay, well, he was in Adam Sandler movies. I know that much. It was the coach from Waterboy. <laughs> he was. And a lot of other things. He's done a lot of Adam Sandler films. But yes. <laughs> turns out he was, in fact, the Fonz. And there's supposedly, according to IMDb Trivia, which I am... Assuming is not lying to me and letting me down. There's a scene in his office where he opens the closet and a leather jacket, (laughs) similar to the one that he wore in Happy Days, is hanging in the closet as a small nod to Happy Days. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of small nods in this film, like all the way through. It's Mm -hmm. fucking brilliant. You want to dive into the trivia? I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I forgot your wine. I don't have them written down. They're on my phone. I screen capped them. I screen capped them. Don't sigh at me. There. Okay. Okay. Go for okay. it. <laughs> you find that god. I thought it was going to take you significantly no, longer than that. Find it. Go for it. <laughs> I have several. Um, 
having worked um, as a crew on films, this one just tickled me. Uh, the party scene at the end of the film is 42 minutes long, and it was shot over the course of 21 days, which is yeah a long-ass time to spend on the back half like of the movie. two minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because all of it was shot at night, so they could only shoot it from the time the sun went down to the time that it rose, so for damn near a month, these people are pulling night shift. Yeah, like 12-hour shift. <laughs> and after it wrapped, the crew had t-shirts made that read, I survived scene 118, because that was the name <laughs> of the scene that they were filming, and they jokingly called it the longest night in his- or the history of horror. God so, damn. I, I appreciated that, having worked some night shoots. <laughs> and, uh, why do you think it took that long? So you've got all night. Well, like it's not like you've got a hour of the night. According again, this is according to the trivia on IMDb. So don't don't at me if it's not totally correct. It's um, forty two minutes long. Like the whole back half of the film, actually longer than the back half of the film because I I looked up the runtime and the film's not much over an hour long. One hundred eleven so, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the film happens at this party. So like, forty two minutes is quite a bit of film yeah. time so 21 days does seem a little a little long but it's a horror film so i'd imagine with all the stunts and i think they had like some special yeah. effects and stuff it's a close just... shooting area if you had to like tear it down and then put it all back together you know like yeah maybe um, they're using somebody's house i don't i have no clue i don't know yeah i, I mean it was a a lengthy scene that involved a whole lot of actors so yeah. i don't know and like I said, special effects. I and ninety six. Would they have still been shooting on film back then, or would that have been digital? I mean, if it's digital, it, it would be early digital, I'd imagine. So yeah, I'd I'd call Craven and ask him. But... <laughs> He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> <coughs> Speaking of Craven, <laughs> there are two cameos in this movie. I have always caught the first one. Never caught the second one. I had to read it and go, that's bullshit, and see the pictures and be like, that's not bullshit. The first cameo is Wes Craven plays the janitor named Fred, dressed up like Freddy Krueger. He's definitely wearing that iconic (laughs) striped sweater. (laughs) It's the greatest goddamn cameo. (laughs) Craven's always doing cameos and stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like one of his favorite things. Like he'd he'd be, he's kind of like the Tarantino of the horror world. Like he's gonna pop up. No, I was thinking um, Stan Lee because he's always in. Stan Lee does that too. (laughs) He's in all of his own films. Um, But yeah, Wes Craven plays the janitor when um, the Fonz pops his head out and it's like, hi, Fred! And he's like, hey! You know, like, he like lunched over, dressed up like Fred. And then um, Linda Blair uh, played a reporter in an orange jumpsuit who uh, you know approaches Sid while Sid's in the back of the cop car. Linda Blair, for the uh, unindoctrinated, uh, <laughs> played the star role in The Exorcist. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Like that Linda Blair. <laughs> she was a little bit older in this film, though. Yeah. She never said that. That was a voice actor person. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Had to, like, eat eggshells and lug nuts to get that voice. <laughs> we'll do an Exorcist episode eventually. <laughs> Um, another fun fact for you. The use of caller ID increased threefold after the release of this film. So, uh, 
people wanted to make sure uh, Ghostface wasn't calling them. Oh, you have to. Which is like one of... It's in my good list. I'll save it for my good list. Um, Kevin Williamson wrote this, wrote Dawson's Creek. He wrote this in three days after a midnight scare. It was after the Greensboro, the Greensboro murders were happening. Um, and he was so freaked out because I guess he came home and his window was open and he didn't leave his windows open. So he sat on his kitchen table with a kitchen knife um, talking to his best friend on the phone and his best friend kept taunting him like, hey, you pussy. No, what's your favorite scary movie? If somebody's going to come in here, you know, break into your house, what's this? You know, what a friend. Like a friend just <laughs> fucking with him because he was so freaked out about these murders. <laughs> and he, he said he went to bed and he couldn't hardly sleep. So he wakes up at like three or four o'clock in the morning and then just starts banging out the script and then knocks it out in three days, complete with two five-page treatments for sequels. <laughs> Which is pretty intense. Banged it out the park. Yeah, no, fucking coming up with, you know, 90 to 100 and some odd pages or whatever it would have come out to, plus the 10 pages for sequel concepts that are fully outlined. Is a ridiculous amount of shit to get done in a month, let alone a long weekend. <laughs> you can do it, but you gotta be... Okay. Sorry. What? No, I'm interested. I'm listening to you. I'm just not letting my phone go dark so I don't lose my trivia. No, it's alright. Go for it. No, I'm totally interested. Like, that is that is really impressive because it takes a long time to write. I mean, a, a full length... Because we've talked about that before, about a page, like an entire top to bottom page is only about a minute of film time. So a full length script is 60 plus pages. Yeah. So that's super fast to it's knock that out. Yeah. Like college students get pissed off if they got five pages they need to write over the weekend. This dude uh, came up with a full character arc, full story arc. He was able to put that in his agent's mailbox after three days. It was like, <laughs> I don't know how much cocaine you need to do to do that. <laughs> But to come up with a movie this good in three days, I'm almost people a little... approach me all the time and they're like, you know, hey, I wrote this thing in like two days or I wrote this thing in the course of a week. I'm like, well, that's how I know it's bullshit. <laughs> you didn't sit and spend any time with it. But you come up with Scream on like Labor Day weekend, you're I'm... good to go. That's uh, a little naive of me not being a writer, but I'm almost a little more impressed that he had treatments for sequels too. Like, it's it's one thing to be like, yeah. oh, I've got this whole idea. But he's like, but, 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 I know where it's going next. <laughs> That's how much Here cocaine we he did that weekend. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Um, he's like, Drew Barrymore said it. <laughs> no, but the the thing that's crazy is when he was writing it, he probably envisioned no-name B-list actors. Like, he probably thought, like, this is just going to be another horror film, but it's a cool concept. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. No, when you're writing it, you're just, this is the story. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this was that story, you know, is is very impressive to me. I would be curious to know how much he sold the script for. $400,000. Oh, that's kind of low. That makes me sad. $400,000 from a writer's perspective. No, I, I worked mean, for three months for $300. No, I mean, <laughs> which granted, he probably negotiated um, if he was involved in it's the sequels. I worked for three days for four hundred <laughs> grand. Got bought. It was, well, compared to what it grossed. You know how bad I would shit myself if the Weinstein brothers and Oliver Stone were ready to kill each other for rights to my movie? Half a million dollars? But... 
$25,000, I would shit myself. I'm advocating for writers here, though, but, like, in perspective of how much this film offered, like, you don't get to go back and renegotiate that. Like, you can put in your contract, like, you get a percentage of whatever the film earns, yeah. but... Well, he got 400000 plus the three sequels. Yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> or two sequels with an option for a fourth. Yeah, yeah. and he... he Probably, I'm sure, in his contract had some leeway to negotiate how much he got paid for the sequels. But, like, that's a bit of bullshit. Like, he didn't even make one single million off of a film that earned $173 million. Nobody respects the writers <laughs> except other writers who like go, they, you got fucking robbed, my dude. They spent $15 you, million just to make it yeah, and only paid him. He could have walked in and been like, I want 1.5. And everybody else would have been like, just give him the 1.5. But also, remember like what we were researching? I can't remember the name of the composer. Mm-hmm. But they that gave the composer. Screwed. They gave the composer fourteen thousand dollars for the screwed. score for the movie. Because <laughs> the guy who made the music and the crew that was working on the film had no idea how much you pay fourteen grand. People making that, the doing that job, were making seventy five thousand dollars every score. So this guy got jacked out of sixty one thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the, he's a millionaire now he's good to go yeah but. that's why the what's your rate question always feels a little dangerous to yeah. me because i'm like what am i worth i have no idea <laughs> like they asked this dude what he wanted and he was like oh uh you know like just yeah. this much and they were like okay yeah well <laughs> it's like when i was when, when i was doing that editing and the 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 rewrite notes and stuff like that mm-hmm I was making $300 and then I went and found out I should have been making like $30,000 or whatever the fuck the number was. Where it's like, I've, I've fucked myself over. This should be paying months of bills. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I've Googled what um, like film editors get paid before and stuff and I always feel like I can't realistically ask what a professional earns because I'm, I'm, I don't have that level of experience but I always feel like weird trying to navigate like Per hour, what am I worth at this level of my career? So it's just a. I always wish they'd give you a ballpark number of what they're willing to pay you, and then you can be like, but I. I uh, to tell on myself, I did that to the composer of the dolls, too. I knew what I wanted to pay him, but yeah. I was like, how much do you want to make yeah. from this? Or Stevie with our logo, <laughs> and it's like, I'll buy you and your boyfriend a six pack of beer. So your payment is three beers. <laughs> Well, no, I, I paid the composer for our film what I originally, in my mind, set yeah. out to pay him. And he only asked for about half what I wanted to pay him. So I was like, whew, now I look real good in comparison. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I was guilty of the same thing. I asked him how much he wanted to make so I could gauge how big yeah. of a douche I was being by offering this no, much money. I have sold novellas for $150. I've probably sold a novel for roughly $350. Like, I've... I fucked myself a couple of times on not knowing what you're the, worth. The joy of being a beginning. Uh... Yeah, to know how to write and not know the business side because nobody <laughs> ever approaches you with it. Go back and listen to a few episodes ago. Um, it was me. It was a text I don't think message. they hear that. No, they didn't. You guys don't get to hear those lovely Ding. things. Uh, do you have any more trivia? Or are you done? Yeah, I've only uh, said two of them. I've oh. got two more. Okay. Let me do this one, and then I'm going to let... No, actually, you go ahead and go again. Because uh, my very last one is the rules, and I want to save that for okay. last. So you go ahead. Um, they used approximately 50 gallons of blood Which on their seven kills. Crazy, because I don't remember... 
I was a little buzzed when we were watching it last night, but I don't, I don't remember at any point thinking it was gory film. Like, there's some, like, blood on shirts and yeah. shit, but it, it... I think Stanley Kubrick shits on 50 gallons oh, of blood. We yeah. should have looked up, like, uh, well, what Saw scene. used. Like, does well, Saw used, like, 5,000 gallons of blood? That like, one scene in The Shining, wasn't that, like, actually The elevators. Real? Yeah. yeah, wasn't that real? Yeah, that was, it was all shot with, like, real fake blood. Yeah, yeah. so, uh... I would be curious. And he probably did it a couple of times if I know Kubrick. (laughs) It's like, all right, cool. Now spend the weekend cleaning and uh, getting rid of all the mildew and then fill the elevator back up with blood because I need about 50 more shots. (laughs) I feel like for this film, though, it mostly had to have been the blood that was kind of just decorating the murder scenes because they don't have I mean, they get their guts split open a couple of times. Yeah, but they don't have any, like, what you see in stereotypical B-films, like geysers of blood, like I stab you and it's just spurting out. It's not stitches with the knife falling back in his head. No, like (laughs) even whenever um, Drew gets stabbed in the opening shot, he stabs her in the chest and it's just kind of pulling on Mm -hmm. her shirt. It's not literally squirting out, like Ghostface mask isn't splattered in blood so I guess that's why that kind of throws me off there wasn't any like geysers of blood in this film but there were some pretty bloody kills I mean people got fucked up in this movie (laughs) somebody got killed by a garage door (laughs) what's your your next trivia Um, Wes Craven discovered the ghost face mask while scouting for filming locations in California he was walking through a possible filming house, and inside hmm. one of the rooms, he saw the mask hanging on the wall. Clever Wes Craven, though. Took a photo and sent it to Dimension Films and told them to make a prop similar to the mask, because yeah. they didn't own the rights to they the actual find mask. The, yeah, they couldn't find the dude who made the original thing. <laughs> I guess for a short time, they used the original mask that they had, and it's in like the long shots, because they didn't figure they could get copyright fucked up for it. And, yeah. <laughs> Which is similar, again, with all the carpenter dick stroking that's going on in the background <laughs> here, to how they found the William Shatner mask that became the Michael Myers mask. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That always throws me off when you say that, because, like, when I look at Michael, I don't think William Shatner. <laughs> Until you paint it completely white, and you just have those saggy chin, or saggy cheekbone. Oh, that's creepy. Um, to keep Drew Barrymore crying oh, yeah. on the phone, Wes Craven did the most Kubrick-esque thing. Kubrick-esque thing I've ever heard of Wes Craven doing, which is he had some stories about animal cruelty, and he just stood on the sideline and was probably like, yeah, they raped that chipmunk to death, and then Drew Barrymore just was fucking tearing just up. Apparently a big animal rights activist. Yeah, so he just He's like, yeah, cry. I used to know this guy who used to like bury cats up to their shoulders and just run their heads over with lawnmowers, and then she'd just start fucking crying, and Oh, that's like that scene in um, Insidious that fucked me up. Have you seen Insidious? Mm-mm. Oh, that fucked me up so bad. There's a... This has nothing to do with this film, sorry. But uh, there's a scene in Insidious where they find, like, these... They move into this old house. I think the main character might be a writer, if I'm not mistaken, but it's been a while since I've seen it. And they find these old videotapes or, like, 
video reels or something up in the attic and like they start like kind of skimming through and watching them. They're all these weird homemade horror films. Like you can see like this family hanging themselves yeah. at a tree and all this. And there's this one scene where um, somebody is buried in their shoulders up into the yard and the lawnmower runs over their head. Nice. And that I, I was like, nope, covering my eyes. <laughs> Did not like that. Is that scene. a riding mower? It's a push mower. Well, they just... That's how you know somebody needs to want to hurt you because with a push mower to get over even like the slightest bump, you have to pick that up and then land that shit on the scalp. And it was not a pretty scene. Cyanora, motherfucker. What's your next trivia for Scream, nineteen ninety six? Uh, this is the final one I have. Are you out? This is the rules. Or do you have any more? I've got the rules in my good, so you're good. Okay, so my last bit of trivia. Um, what's his name? Randy, who is the nerd esque yeah. character in this film um big horror buff and he watches a lot of horror films and he has six rules that you have to abide by if you want to survive a horror film number one you cannot have sex number two you cannot drink or do drugs number three broken that rule <laughs> <laughs> number three you cannot say I'll be right back number four Everyone is a suspect. And then it says two additional rules from the killer. I'm assuming Ghostface. Mm-hmm. You cannot ask who's there. And you cannot go out to investigate the strange noises that you hear. Never. And I think as the movies progress, they add rules. I know they did in the TV show where they're like, this is how, you know. And I will say I don't I don't want to compare the two because there's such a big time gap. But I actually well, liked... it was the same writer, which I was I, it? I enjoyed. Yeah, oh, I didn't know he that. wrote the original Scream. He got all the sequels, and then he got the TV show. Well, I don't I don't want to compare the two because that's such a massive time gap. The TV show only came out like a couple of years ago, yeah. right? But I liked the nerd esque character who filled that role in the TV show better. Like he was a more fleshed out character, yeah. and he was just like. Quirky and fun, and uh, like they they played up that horror buff persona significantly more, and I I liked that a lot. Which that was no, that was not. I was gonna say he reminded me a lot of the actor from um, that '70s show, but that is not the same person. But you want to talk about actors like our our good friend Billy, looking too much like Johnny Depp. That kid that played that <laughs> role reminded me so much of the kid from that '70s show. Yeah. But anyway, I'm out of trivia. Well, you want to get into the goods? What do you got in the goods? Um, my first good is, um, like for films, there's specific rules you can follow, like the types of angles that you shoot at and like the way that, uh, you edit things, including your music and stuff like that, like typically adds tension to kind of up the ante when you're about to do a scary moment yeah. and Craven in this film in particular which it's poking fun at mm. horror films so that's probably why uses Dutch angles several times and really tense music and then nothing happens. Well he does that a bunch right? Like he plays a lot with the angles and sound like in particular when uh, Sid goes to the door, the closet door, and she opens up the closet door, and there's like this crescendo of music that's happening. It's da 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 da, and she opens the door, da 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 da, closes the door, the music drops. Mm-hmm. 
Like, there's a lot of, like, misdirection yeah. with these very stereotypical things that you would normally use because to build the, tension. then you get the back shot where she's walking away from the camera. She's in this big open room. Normally, the back shot means she's going to cross that, you know, threshold. And she's going to get attacked from the front. And then, like, he switches the camera over once she crosses the threshold. So now you're like, she's going to get attacked from the back. And then she never gets attacked. She just goes and sits on the couch. Yeah. And like, so for fucking like five minutes, you're like, she's going to get fucked up in this house. There's no way she doesn't. And nothing happens. So there's a lot of very clever misdirection to make you feel like you're supposed to feel tense. And yeah. then it's like, well, what the fuck, dude? No. So I, I appreciated that, that he used very stereotypical techniques that you learn in film school against the viewer to be like, ah, ha, ha, I gotcha. Yeah. It's almost like he's going, sit down, children. I know what you're thinking is going to happen, <laughs> but I've been at this for 20 years at this point, you know? <laughs> like, his first film, I believe, came out in 1976 or 1978. Like, it was, I can't remember when... Um, Last House came out and When Hills Have Eyes happened, but they would have been roughly 20 years before this film. Yeah. And so it's like, I created these tropes, okay? I've been doing this since before Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Well, I mean, these were things that even Hitchcock was doing. These are things that the old masters... Yeah, I mean, not that Craven's It's not in my master. good. Don't steal my good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not allowed to write a big-ass fucking essay about Hitchcock and then not bring up the one thing that he definitely, you know, was an homage to Hitchcock. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. But, but no, no, I'd like to stay with your good for just oh, a second. Uh, is Like flipping those, um, those angles and those sounds, like those very filmmaker very writer things all get flipped over mm-hmm. like you're like oh the cops are here everything's gonna be good but the cops are stupid the way that they were stupid in the last house on the left uh, you know every character feels like they were pulled out of a different movie and then like embodied in a late 90s teen yeah except it looks like a college campus that these guys are walking around but it's a community center did you do that piece of trivia the, no, I haven't, but... His thank you to the Santa Fe High School or whatever the oh, fuck it was. No. Oh, gosh, no. Did I, I feel like I took a picture of that. But, yeah, Craven just takes all these tropes that he was around when they were created, and they were forward-thinking when they were created. And in 1996, the horror genre is dead on its feet. They're making Ghost Boat or whatever the fuck oh, that movie oh. is. And Jeepers Creepers. Why do you make fun of that one? Because it's dog shit outside of that razor wire scene. That didn't and, come out that long ago. That was a 2000-something film. It's good. It's dog shit. Regardless, it was like a, there was a solid ten years of just dog shit in the horror movies. It's seven was the only one of any real accord. You brought it up though, and I skipped it. Can I say this real quick? Yeah. So they wanted to film at uh, the Santa Rosa High School in California, and then um, the board of directors read the script and realized it was more violent than they thought, and they yeah. thought it was a comedy film. So they ended up like Craven was very... sitting there like. Arms folded, going, <laughs> Columbine's going to happen in three years. Good luck with that level of violence in your high school. Very close to the beginning of their first shoot date at the school. The school was like, sorry, you can't shoot here anymore. So they're scrambling to find um, a secondary place to shoot. And so in the credits, Craven put under the special thanks section, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa <laughs> City School District Governing Board. He's like 50 years old. He's like, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> 
was meant to bring all this great fucking product. We know Craven flips the whole thing on its head, which makes this movie brilliant. The thing that I think is interesting about um, the use of angles and music in particular, though, if I, again, I was a little buzzed when we were watching this last night. A little buzzed while we were discussing it. (laughs) If I went back and rewatched it um, and, like, specifically looked for those things, I might pick up a couple of things. But a lot of the modern day um, horror films that we do for Two Star Tuesday lean heavily into color theory aspects to kind of set a mood, too. And, like, the whole film felt like I was just like walking about in my day-to-day life it didn't feel like there were any intentional like purposeful mood shifting color choices here so Craven kept it very natural Mm -hmm. and then every once in a while would just chuck in this like angle or this like music spike to be like do you feel a little uneasy right now well even like his close-ups right like when we thank Drew Barrymore in that iconic beginning scene, he's, when when the slip up happens in the conversation, he says, "I just want to know who I'm looking at." And she says, "What?" And he says, I, "Who I'm talking to." Mm-hmm. When she says, "What?" they pull the camera in, but it happens so slowly or so smoothly um, that you don't even realize that they're getting that close up angle, and it's like pulling you directly into the movie. Where it's mm-hmm. like, here's another trope that's over years. But I've used it. You didn't even see it coming, and now it's gone. <laughs> the popcorn at the beginning for pacing in that first 15 minutes, and then she burns the popcorn. But the popcorn doesn't catch on fire and burn the house down. Now there's a murderer in the house. I've got you obsessed with the popcorn. Great. You're still thinking about popcorn, you fucking movie-watching idiot. <laughs> you know <laughs> backhand you with the fact that the killer's hiding in the closet, the boyfriend's dead on the patio, Drew Barrymore's about to get her fucking throat cut in front of her family. (laughs) Which is the perfect homage to my top good Alfred Hitchcock psycho. (laughs) What what would you say is uh, comparable? The what? I said, what would you say is comparable? Well, I wish I had written down the actress lady who played... Oh, the killing of the... Marilyn Mm -hmm. in in, uh, Psycho. But yeah, they kept her around for 20 minutes. She thought she was key to the whole plot. She gets dead dead in a shower. And then the rest of the movie has to go for another hour without her. And everybody just remembers the shower scene. Nobody remembers that that's the catalyst for the plot of Psycho. She stops at a hotel, gets killed night one, and then the whole movie happens. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like Scream tries to lean into this, but also interesting that um, Ghostface calls, you know, per his usual MO, mm-hmm. calls uh, Casey on the phone and asks her, you know, what's a bunch of questions, asks her his iconic line, what's your scary, or favorite scary movie, and um, gets her on the question friday the 13th yeah friday the 13th who's the killer and um jason Voorhees. jason Voorhees. jason Voorhees. she answers wrong because uh the killer is actually the mom and (laughs) in psycho the killer is not who you think the killer is either Mm -mm. killer is not mom the killer is norman bates so they don't really like lean into that in this movie but interesting the comparison the two iconic women die and they die somewhat in vain Similar of yeah. yeah like they get stabbed to death and one of them answers a question wrong involving 
who the killer is, and the other one gets killed by a killer that isn't really the killer. So. Just saying. He might be the greatest director that ever lived. I'm not <laughs> maybe the greatest horror director that ever lived. What's your second? I don't have five. I only have four, I think. So you may need to go twice in a row. But um, the limited showing of Ghostface, which there are several scenes where they very clearly up close, well lit, show what Ghostface looks like. So it's not one of those films where they're like, we're going to hide the bad guy and let you kind of totally envision this in your head. But they don't show Ghostface really all that often until the death is happening. Like a lot of Ghostface interaction with... um, the really important characters is through the phone. So the fact that the actors weren't allowed to meet the guy who voiced Ghostface and he just has this really like deep intimidating voice. And then the fact that as an audience, we don't see Ghostface really until it matters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think to some extent kind of emphasizes that he's almost like this ethereal character. He's literally called Ghostface. The costume that he wears in the film is a Halloween costume you can buy called Father Death. And like the particular instances that Craven chooses to show the character, I feel like kind of makes the character seem like this almost intangible object that could be anywhere. Yeah. And I liked that. And it's all mixed in with, I'll blend one of my likes with, with your like is um, it's all mixed into where you don't know who the killer is. You're initially led to believe it's the principal, you know, with that scissor scene. Well, they bounce it a lot. You think it's the yeah. boyfriend. You think it's the principal. You, you think, think it's, it's the Billy father. and then Billy's fucking Sid. And then like downstairs Tatum's getting her fucking head <laughs> crushed in by a goddamn garage door. And they and make you like, think it's her own father. Like they bounce yeah. it around a lot. So this, this, bad guy seems like he could literally be the person sitting across the table from you. He could be. And he was the entire film, because he'll be right back. (laughs) I am. (laughs) But he's the perfect killer for this particular film. Sometimes you screw up the side characters, the killer doesn't work well. Um, Most of the classics, that's not true, and it's not true in films like Saw. Saul, Jigsaw makes sense once you've seen Saul because now you understand why he's going after who he's going after. Mm -hmm. His character makes perfect sense. But Ghostface is perfect for the entire movie because he's tripping over carpets. He's running into doors. He's getting punched out by people. He's not indestructible by any stretch. He just always has the jump. (laughs) And it's two different guys. You know, like he's goofy. But when he is violent, he is unforgivably fucking violent. Like, he will cut your throat and hang you in front of your parents. He will crush your face in a garage door opener. Like, he he, 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 he takes absolutely no fucking prisoners. And so, like, when you're trying to gauge the suspect characters throughout the movie, you can't quite place it. So you're like, well, that guy's an idiot. The guy who played Shaggy, who turns out to be one half of the ghost face, who's always tripping over, I imagine, the carpet and stuff. And then you've got the one who takes out Drew Barrymore, who I imagine is the Johnny Depp knockoff. Mm. You know, like, there's the sexy, over-the-top violence, and then there's this goofy, who the fuck is this guy? How Mm -hmm. does he only... like? But when he nails it, he's cutting your guts out and, like fucking wrapping them around your throat popping your head off like a god 
Ghostface is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Underappreciated horror monster. (laughs) I'm not going to get to that one right now. That's probably going to be my final thought, but I did have a a thought about the male characters in particular in this film, and I forgot about that. The, the, The killer has very human moments. There are moments where she's like, boom, knocked you out. I'm on my way. I just closed the door and now you can't fucking traverse that. This is not Michael Myers. This is No, he's very much a human element in the film and that is kind of funny that they they made a point to show moments where the character's not quite got it down. (laughs) Um, my next one is there are a lot and I probably won't read all of them because I screen capped a lot of them but there are a lot of funny lines in this film oh hilarious Um, it makes so much fun of itself and I haven't seen this movie probably in several years I have seen it as an adult but I don't like I didn't remember until last night how much fun this movie makes fun of itself like the cop character who is traditionally you know the character you would think is being the the strong protect you character is hands down the biggest idiot in the whole film don't talk to me like that ma (laughs) said you can't talk to me like that when i'm being a police officer There are in tons and tons of references to other classics, like in a, a funny, I've like, got, poke fun way. Yeah, go ahead and do yours, because that's the yeah, best one. I laughed so hard at this. Tatum, she goes, don't go there, Sid. You're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick. <laughs> that was my favorite one of them all. I laughed so hard at that. But, um... Uh, yeah, there's... which you brought that up already, where he calls the janitor... Fred, and he's like, what? You know, and, like, there's a lot of little homages to stuff like that, and, um, let's see. Uh, Gail looks like we've got a serial killer on our hands, Dewey. Well, a serial killer isn't really accurate. Gotta knock a couple more out to get that title. Gail. Well, we can only hope, can't we? (laughs) Um, Gail. Uh, if I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. You know what that would do for my book sales? <laughs> like a lot of just like little quippy. What does she say to Sid? Like right before Sid blasts her in the face, she's like, "I'll send you my book." Yeah, and then Sid just turns around and knocks her the fuck out. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, when Gail's talking to her cameraman, and she says, "Jesus, the camera, hurry!" And he's like, "My name's not Jesus." <laughs> and then let's see. I've got. One more. Like the da- the dynamic between Gail and her cameraman to begin with. If you were 30 seconds faster, you'd be like 10 <laughs> times better of a cameraman. Or whatever. And if he was 30 seconds faster, then he wouldn't have got his throat cut at the fucking end of the yeah, movie. He might have survived. Uh, yeah, when um, the tail end of the movie, Sydney's kind of coming out on top. Stu's like, did you really call the police? And she's like, your bet your sorry ass I did. He's like, my mom and dad are going to be so <laughs> mad at me. So a lot of just clever little lines the whole conversation about like the killer needing a motive you know and he's like why'd you do it and he starts explaining like his relationship (sighs) with his mother and then he asks uh is it Stuart?" they ask yeah you know why'd you do it and he's like peer pressure oh shoot where was that i had that one uh where are you at come on oh yeah uh, Sydney, she's like, ah, oh, Stu, Stu, what's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? And Stu goes, peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. <laughs> 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 and 
And then at this point, um, they're trying to set it up to look like they're also victims. They're trying to frame yeah, Sydney's dad. Stabbing each other and stuff. Yeah, so they've stabbed each other. And um, at the end of that little quip right there, uh, Billy throws the phone and hits Stu with it. And he's like, hi, you dick. You hit me with the phone, even though he's bleeding the fuck out. <laughs> There's just a lot of ridiculous... Really funny, punchy lines. <laughs> they use the phone. I mean, the segue. Uh, they use the phone in this movie. We talk all the time about, like, uh, with the cell phone era. How do you kill the cell phone? How do you get around this massive thing? And what Scream nailed in 96 was turn the phone into a direct weapon. Mm-hmm. You can't get around it. He's going to call you. He's close enough to know who you're going to call so that he can stop that from happening. So he never has to kill your phone line. You don't want to pick the fucking phone up anymore because you know you're going to be talking to him. That's how Craven got around it. Yeah, and there's twice that they kind of circumvent it. Um, Casey yells through the door at the very beginning of the film that she's going to call the cops. And as she goes to pick the phone up, he calls her first. So she has to answer and he's there already. Don't do it, you little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And then he does one single time in the whole movie, cut the phone line. And um, it's the first time he tries to attack Sydney and she uh, sends out like a chat message on her Mm -hmm. computer to the cops instead. And other than that, um, yeah, he, he uses the phone as a way to toy with his victims. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's fucking fantastic. What it else is, you got? It is kind of cool, though, like, still on that topic, where at the tail end, Sydney switches it around, and um, Sydney Uses it to get the confession. Them. Yeah, she calls yeah. them back, and she's then taunting them as they're trying to find where she ran off to. So it, Mom is, and Dad are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> it's a cool kind of, like, switcheroo. Like, he's been using it the whole time to get to her, and then she's like, no, fuck you, I can play this game, too. I've only got one left, so how many do you have? I got my my, my top kills. That's all I have left. That's it? Okay. Um, My final, which I don't know that it was necessarily super intentional, but my final takeaway from this film is I, being a female, think that it's pretty cool that the only strong characters in this film, period, for the most part, are the women. Um... Sydney, the first time Ghostface calls her and tries to do the whole "What's your scary movie?" She's like, "Ah, I don't watch that shit. That's dumb." <laughs> and like gives him this whole like runaround about why it's stupid. She punches Gail in the or face. Casey. No, Sydney. Casey, like. Casey answers. at the beginning, she's like, "Oh, what are you gonna do? Chase down another big titted baby?" No, that's Sydney. Oh, that was Sydney. Yeah, she's like, that, no, because okay. the bimbos always run up the stairs and it's stupid, and they have their tits out and all the other Sydney. Uh, no, Casey immediately answers with Friday the 13th or something, I think. I can't remember what she says. But, um, and then Sydney punches Gail when Gail's giving her shit, and Sydney's the one who delivers the final kill shot to Billy. Uh, Tatum doesn't have, like, any physically strong moments in the film, but she's the one who's, like, constantly kind of standing up for Sydney, like, gives her brother Dewey, which I forgot that they were related so much shit. And she's constantly like, fuck off, leave her alone, this is my friend, you know, like, looking out for Sydney. And then Gail needs no explanation. She's She's the bitchy go-getter the whole movie. And the only time you see characters that are essentially the damsel in distress characters, it's always the men. Like, Casey's boyfriend is the first character who gets tied up and taken the fuck out. Um, um, yeah, the football guy. 
Yeah. He's like wearing his Letterman jacket. He's like, ah, fuck you. In case he's like threatening Ghostface, my boyfriend's a big football player. He'll kick your ass. And her boyfriend's the one tied up outside. Um, and essentially begging Casey not to leave him behind. Um, Sydney's dad gets tied up. And Dewey, who is the cop, is hands down the most incompetent yeah. character in the whole film. Stu's so. crying. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever he, he dies, like, saying, my parents are going to be mad at me. So yeah. it's it's an interesting role reversal that, yeah, the killers are both men, but all of the strong, badass moments go to the women. The only exception is that Sydney sleeps with Billy, and I'm a little, like, eh about that. Well, like, really, though, because of the rules, you can't have sex in a horror movie. Billy gets killed. So Billy still technically died because he had sex. I highly doubt Billy was a virgin, but that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. Uh, I, I like that that's the one trope from that era that Craven didn't fuck with. That he didn't bring in like, strong male characters. Because that genre that we all remember as being misogynistic and violent had strong female leads. It's what we love about Halloween. It's what we love about Nancy from his original, you know, fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. Was that the strong woman was the one in these babysitter murder movies that still pulled through. And if nothing, he added more strong female characters, you know. Yeah. So that's my my last good, like, pro, especially for the 90s. Strong ass women. God damn right. And big name strong ass women, not <laughs> no name. And I don't think there's a single scene in here anywhere. Um, Sydney wears really long nightgowns well, and like the sleep- first quote unquote tit shot is an hour five into the movie and it's tight sweatshirt, no bra. Yeah, <laughs> you, you see Tatum's nipples through her shirt, and outside of that, like Sydney wears really long sleep shirts that significantly cover the top of her thighs so that's about as scandalous as this movie yeah. ever got like they i think i read that in one of my trivia things like um one of the weinstein brothers wanted drew to be more sexualized mm-hmm. and well it was that story that i was reading yeah. that article that i was reading you earlier where it, for the drew barrymore scene bob weinstein didn't agree with the way that he thought this was being shot so we wanted craven to shoot with seven different masks seven se- seven <laughs> separate scenes he wanted her to be more scantily clad he had like five or six different requests and craven was basically like why would you kick me in the balls in the middle of my opening shoot go fuck yourself and then he did what he wanted to do and that's what we have to see mm-hmm. And Tatum does wear short skirts, but she never, it's never like, look at my crotch. She's always yeah. got her legs kind of crossed together. So it is a very, for being a 90s film, very female progressive. So I appreciate you, Craven. What was your favorite kill? And then we'll get out of here. Probably Tatum, because it's the, the most unique. I would have to say I agree with you on that, because I know you mentioned earlier that yeah. you liked that. Um, slasher films typically tend to be you just get axed the fuck up with some kind of blade (laughs) of some sort so tatum's death was a unique concept it was a fun (laughs) trivia i think we missed which was Mm -hmm. rose mcgowan was too skinny for a dog door (laughs) so they had to state or nail her shirt to the inside of the garage door to keep her in the garage door when they lifted the garage door um (laughs) I'm torn between that one and Stu's 
death, which he gets his head crushed with a television set just because poetically uh, that works. And it's reminiscent of one of the greatest nightmare movies, which is the dream catchers or whatever the dream chaser, whatever the, you know, which one it's yeah. like the fifth or sixth nightmare movie where they bring it into the real world. And he, you know, they kill Stu with the television set after he learned how to be a murderer via television set. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, that's, all, that's all I got. I got one more quote from the master himself. Go for it. It's not related to this movie. If it is, I was unaware when I wrote it down. But Wes Craven once said, and it's quoted on the internet, so I'm putting it on him. The first monster that you have to scare the audience with is yourself. And I thought that quote worked really well for this film. Because I think Craven knew what he was doing. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to scare you. I'm going to make you laugh. And then I'm going to create a sequel. Like I've done my entire career of shit that scares you and makes you laugh. It it reminded me of Freddy. It reminded me of Michael. It reminded me of so many things, not from my childhood year by year, but uh, my appreciation for horror. Getting to watch this again was just like, it's a master class, like a sarcastic master class in film. But it is a bit of a real-world reminder. How well do you really know the people in your life? Exactly. What's your big takeaway? Uh, I don't know that I have, like, a, a big life takeaway, but I... I... <laughs> All right, Thanks, Jax. Jax. That's Jax's takeaway. I stand... <laughs> stand by Craven being... Whether he meant to be or not, a master of the craft, I, I can look at it from a 2019 perspective and realize it's a very 90s film, but much like the older classic films, like holds up. There wasn't, thank you, Jax, any moment in the film where I thought this is dumb or this doesn't still apply. So I, when you get to the heart of the intentions of the film, you know, decades later they'll still kind of fuck with you a bit (laughs) so that's that we good we good you don't wait do you have a takeaway Uh, i already gave you it said it right before (laughs) sorry just distracted me (laughs) it felt like a sarcastic master class and Mm -hmm. like every time i watch it I, i feel like i pull something new um, but you guys can uh, shoot us your film suggestions. If you got any comments, questions, or concerns, you can uh, hit us up on Facebook at... Uh, Facebook.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. Or you can hit us up on the Twitter. It's a little faster. You ain't got to write as much. You can tell us all you want to about the godfather Wes Craven at... <laughs> at Nightmare Box Pro. Or you can float on over to Instagram. You can send us pictures of Wes Craven at... <laughs> <laughs> At Nightmare Box Productions. Or you can go over where you can buy the book. Uh, you can watch Kristen's movie. You can hit up our website at... TheNightmareBox.blog. Or scoot directly over to Kristen's YouTube page. That would be YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. But definitely write us an email. And send <laughs> that one over to... Uh, NightmareBoxProductions at Gmail. Um, we're getting back in the swing of things here where everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And we'll, uh, 
We'll have more two stars that are going to come out. We're going to have more of these types of episodes where we've actually got a path that we're trying to roll on so that we can bring you guys the content that you love and Jack's flipping out in the background. Halloween's coming up, though, so uh, don't make, everything may not be okay. I may have to convince Kristen that we need to do one of these reviews for Halloween. Hey, we found Texas Michael Chainsaw Myers. within the requirements, Good. so... If if Michael Myers pops up on that Netflix thing, you guys are getting a 1976 Halloween. <laughs> um, it's going to be brilliant. But I love you. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you again in a couple of days.